0: Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, presentation of National Review. You can find our episodes on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn. A reminder to subscribe to that feed for new episodes on most Mondays. Or you can go right to nationalreview.com. We invite you to listen, enjoy, share, and leave reviews as well. You can find us on Twitter, at political underscore beats. My name is Scott Bertram. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My co-host standing by, as always, Jeff Blair. Jeff.
1: Hey, how are you? I'm doing pretty good myself working here in the studio, uh, conscientiously overdubbing all of the commentary for this week's episode. And uh, just to be clear, if I'm not really happy with uh, what either of you two contribute, I will uh,
0: remove your voice tracks and add my own in place. Well, as long as you think you can do it better... That's that's the key here. You can yeah, find we, we we go we go through
1: guests the way uh, the
0: Foo Fighters go through guitarists. <laughs> you can find Jeff uh, on Twitter as well at Esoteric CD, and we welcome in our guest this week. He's an editorial writer and board member at uh, the Dallas News, a co-host of the Fifth Estate Show podcast, and you can find him on Twitter at Jay Caruso. He is, as you might have guessed, Jay Caruso. Jay, thank you for joining us here on Political Beats. Uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. We will uh, discuss the band in just a moment, but as we bring on our guests here on Political Beats, the show where we talk to political people about, well, music and not politics whatsoever, we still like to know how you, Jay Caruso, got involved in your political job.
2: Uh, well, it's funny. It's I have a I have a, probably a unique career arc, and that you know I'm one of the few writers that hasn't been a writer all my life. In fact, I spent 20 years in the corporate world, and um, been writing out off and on probably for 15 years, but then didn't really start taking it seriously again until about 2013, and started like a group blog that it progressed into you know hey you know you want to write for for this and and then somebody from the Federalist somebody who's was like, hey, you should see if you can get some published at the Federalist. And I did and then moved on to Red State. And then I got published in National Review and the Weekly Standard. And you know, it just it it was just this kind of like snowball effect. And I was able to kind of like leave the corporate world, uh, join the, uh, the the writing world, which, you know, which when I always get accused of doing what I do for the money, which is kind of funny considering I worked for like a <laughs> fortune 35 company where I could have probably been making a lot of money with stock and super duper benefits and everything. And I left to, to write for a living. Um, and then, uh, just out of pure chance, uh, I heard that the Dallas morning news was looking for a, uh, an editorial writer. I sent in my, my resume and two weeks later I was surprised to get a phone call and then uh, I had to kind of write some mock editorials. And, and, and the person who interviewed me was in, in Europe on vacation. But she came back. I was surprised to get a call back. Um, I was surprised to be flown out there for an interview. <laughs> I was surprised when they offered me the job. So it's uh, it,
0: it, it's been a, uh, been a whirlwind over the, probably the last two years. But not as surprised as you were to be asked to be a guest on this this podcast i 'm sure that, that well, actually I
2: away. was in fact look i, I 'm not a Jeff and I are friends, so I could sit there and wonder, I like ripped into him because he's 'd done like x amount of episodes and i hadn 't been invited on yet
0: <laughs> Well, here you are. We are happy to have you and uh happy to discuss uh the band that you've uh, chosen and uh that is a a band that uh, rose from the ashes of of Nirvana after after Kurt Cobain's suicide it literally began as a one man project of uh, of Dave Grohl and ha- has grown into uh, i guess a six man band at this point and gone through many iterations of of band members through the years i have really Enjoyed the singles output from this band through the years, and I'm looking forward to discussing them as a as a more complete albums band. And also looking forward to hearing Jeff's uh, insight on Foo Fighters, because as he'll tell you in just a bit, he was really unfamiliar with Foo Fighters until we began this t- to plan this episode. Um, Foo Fighters, one of the best rock bands of the past, uh, let's say 24 years, I suppose. 1994 is their first release, and so we turn the floor over to our guest, Jay Caruso to explain to us how you got into the foo fighters why do you like them so darn much and why should everybody else care about this rock and roll band called the foo fighters
2: well it's interesting my 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 you know when i first heard the foo fighters we're talking now of course about a time long a long long time ago in a galaxy far far away when people listened to music on this thing called the radio <laughs> um you know, you had CDs and tapes and everything then, but there was no such thing as streaming. There was no Apple music. There was mm-hmm. no, this is 1994, 95. There weren't even MP3s, or maybe there were, who knows. But it was, you know, most of the time you listen to stuff on the radio. And so I'm listening to the radio, and I'm like, oh, Dave Girl, who's a drummer and Nirvana, you know, he started his own band. And and here's, a, you know, a, a single off their debut album uh, called Big Me. And I was like, oh, okay. And then it started, and I was like, What the hell is this? I was sitting there listening to it, and I'm saying to myself, even before I even caught the joke, you know, even before i realized what the joke was about the song and everything, I was like, This sounds like a- it-, it sounds like a Mentos commercial. <laughs> and I-, I hated it.
3: When I talk about it, it carries on, reasons on.
2: Turned, you know, I, I changed the station. I said, "Oh my god, that's terrible!" And you know, this is at a time when, again, you can't listen. The only way you could listen to the rest of the music that was on the album was actually go out and buy the album. right. right. The first song, I said, "There's no way I'm doing that." And so I kind of forgot about them. Um, it was two years later, or two and a half years later, however long it was. When I was still listening to the radio, I was driving home from work, and you know the the station announced that foo fighters had put out a new album i said oh god and <laughs> and i said here's here's the here's uh the the, the first single off that it was <clears throat> and I, I don't know if it was the first single or not but you know they they played everlong and i was ready to turn it off and i said let me let me listen and i listened and i listened and i listened and i listened to the beginning of that song and then it started and, and then it kicked in and i said holy crap this is great that one spurred me like at the day after I heard the song to run out and buy the color and the shape. And, um, I, that's kind of when I became hooked and I went back and I bought the first album and I said, Oh man, this is actually really good. <laughs> Nothing sounds like big me. Um, and, and, and I was immediately a fan. Um, interesting, interestingly enough over the next, I don't know, probably, I guess when, uh, I guess it was probably the next seven or eight years, when when new albums came out i was a little disappointed because there was nothing that i could put on where i could sit there and listen from listen to it from beginning to end
0: mm-hmm.
2: you mentioned this before you were talking about they were a singles band and that's essentially what it was it was kind of like you know this song is good this song is great this is crap this is crap, this is crap. <laughs> and you, i couldn't listen to it all you know i would sit there right. and i'd kind of like do this thing where i'd shuffle songs around or whatever kind of make a list if i could um and that was until um, Echo, Silence, Patience, and Grace came out. And I, I thought that they had finally put it together. And it's like, that's a double album that I can listen to straight through. Mm-hmm. And then when Wasting Light came out, I said, now these guys, have they've found their groove. I said that they've been doing this now for, you know, however long it was. I think at that point it was probably, you know, 10, 11 years. And I said, or more than that. And they yeah. said, they've, they've hit their stride. This is it. Because Wasting Light, I can listen to from the first track all the way to the end every single time, and I love almost every single song. Um, and, I mean, basically, that's it. I, the, the thing about the Foo Fighters, and I talk about them, and people kind of like, well, why, why do you like them so much? I said because, you know, th- they are not a band, I think, that is going to be placed in an echelon of, say, like Led Zeppelin. I'm not going to go there and say that what I do say about them is that they're just a great rock band that writes great rock songs and they're, they're fun to listen to and the songs are really good and you got to love the band. I mean, Dave Grohl is just like this big goofball who doesn't take (laughs) himself too seriously. These guys are not pretentious, you know? I mean, what these guys are a hard rock band and yet they went and did this version of never going to give you up with Rick Astley I don't know if it, if it hasn't been recorded, but if you go on YouTube, you can find it. Mm-hmm. I, saw I saw it <laughs> uh, when and
1: I, when so, I, when intro, it. I it.
2: And it's it's terrific. I mean, they mix like this kind of you know. Grohl was like, if you listen to "Smells Like Teen Spirit" and and the song together, he goes, it basically has the same the same melody, and so you can kind of like you know they kind of mash this thing together, and it was great. And everybody, you know, the people at the concert were going crazy. You know, they were having a they were having a blast. So. That's it. I mean, you know, it's like you're going to listen to the Foo Fighters. You're not going to get this kind of virtuoso musician kind of thing. You're not going to hear super duper long guitar solos. You're not going. What you're going to hear are five or six musicians that just kind of come together and just make one great product. And that's just great rock songs. So my evolution is.
1: Musically, we've gone over this a couple of times. I think I, I got into specific detail about it when we were discussing Pearl Jam, which is that, you know, up until about 1994 or so, basically right up until the moment that Kirk Cobain committed suicide, I was, you know, with my brother and my friends and my peers in school and very much being on that sort of radio bandwagon, you know, listening to what was popular at the time. So I grew up with the three early Pearl Jam albums, you know, Ten Verses and Vitology. I grew up with Nirvana, with uh, Nevermind and In Utero. And then right when Cobain committed suicide and Nirvana ended as a band, uh, I went into high school, my freshman year of high school, and I discovered the Beatles. And the Beatles just completely took over my life at that point. Sent me shooting down down a completely different direction, became a classic rock kid. All I would listen to was like Dylan and The Who and... 60s and 70s acts and actually i became insufferably snobbish about modern music i didn't want to pay any attention to any of it uh which was stupid because there was so much good music at the time the only thing i had any time for was radiohead um so i completely missed the food fighters they literally started right at the moment where i exited the arena so to speak of popular music i went for about five years where i didn't even listen to the radio like literally never turned it on not in the car not at home nothing like that i never listened to pop or top 40 radio or watched mtv so as they became huge i completely missed it therefore that's why i used to make the joke um same joke i make about rush actually which is that i'd never heard a foo Fighter song and i don't know anything about them i don't know who they are i don't know anything about them of course that didn't prevent me from being insulting towards them because i'm, I'm a jerk like that you know i'm willing to insult bands that i'm actually unfamiliar with because uh, this is <laughs> you know this is uh, you know obviously a, a very very intelligent and measured way to approach music to, to just dog on the things you don't even understand so you know I always thought of them as like, oh, well, yeah, they're that kind of – the extent that I knew them, I knew them like, oh, yes, they're they're, they're sort of a a pop sellout band made by Nirvana's drummer. Uh, Isn't it a shame how the mighty have fallen? Um, I never knew any of their stuff until a friend of mine who always used to joke to me and say, hey, you know, the best songwriter in Nirvana was Dave Grohl. And I'm like, well, huh? and, then, and then after a while, he confessed to me that he was kidding, but he wasn't really kidding. He was kidding <laughs> on the square that he actually did think that Dave Grohl was kind of a more compelling songwriter in a lot of ways than Kurt Cobain. I'm not sure if I would entirely agree with that. I think Kurt Cobain was a great songwriter. That was the first time I ever thought, well, the Foo Fighters may be better than I realized, but I had never seriously given them a listen until it's not a joke. Two weeks ago, two weeks ago when we basically booked Jay for the show. And it's like, all right, so this is one we're going to be doing soon. And I just got out all their albums, <clears throat> put them all in order and started from the beginning, went all the way to the end. And I have to say, I feel like a complete jackass because this turns out to have been a really great band and I had no idea why I was denying myself the right to listen to them. I think Jay in a way, maybe even undersells their virtues, which I think is interesting given that, you know, he's the longtime fan and, and Scott, you've been familiar with them for years too. And, and I'm the guy who just came to them. I think they are in their early career were superb at creating a, uh, a, accessible and hooky, but but not like, you know, pop sellout, not schlocky fusion of the best kind of stuff of the Pixies and Nirvana and Hoosker Doo and even I really actually think a major influence was My Bloody Valentine. Uh, especially some of the sonic and chordal contexts and textures that you found on Loveless, uh, putting all that together and, and creating something that's really impressive out of it. I think there is definitely a period in the middle of their career where the albums get a little bit softer and a little bit flabbier, and you have you, the singles and then you have dross. Uh, I think the later period of their career, I haven't really given the most recent album a very hard listen, but I think you know, as we're going to get to uh, Wasting Light and Echoes, uh, these are just fantastic records that uh, proved it. if nothing else, Dave Grohl uh, knows how to write friggin' songs. He knows how to assemble chords and melodies and dynamics and put them together into really, really catchy things that aren't designed necessarily to be radio hits, because let's be honest, radio has passed up, passed by the Foo Fighters at this point. Radio, if you look at popular top 40 music, it, is, it doesn't sound anything like the music the Foo Fighters are making. And in fact, people maybe, you know, when they see that we're doing this episode, will be thinking, oh, well, there, there goes Political Beats doing another dad rock show. Um, because in a way, it's, it's kind of cre- kind of depressing to say it, but people starting to start thinking of the Foo Fighters as dad rock. And the way they think of Pearl Jam now is kind of dad rock. But neither neither of them were anything like that back in the day. But I I, I have to say I am just – Surprised and impressed with the quality of their music, with Dave Grohl's ability to write incredibly catchy songs. And I also will, you know, I, I agree with what Jay says here that there's just something really appealing about their intentional lack of haughtiness or lack of image Grohl's talked about i read a couple of interviews with him he says you know there's which is funny because he came out of nirvana right but he said there's nothing i hate more than the whole tortured rock star pose he even wrote a song about it on the color and the shape you know like oh woe is me i'm such a tortured artist i play music for a living he's like listen i could be pumping gas instead of doing this i'm really happy to be a rock musician this is fun spirit of fun and goofiness to all the stuff they do. All you need to do is watch any Foo Fighters music video, uh, and, and all they do basically the entire time is make fun of themselves. I really like that spirit. I'm very surprised today that I really like this band. There are some songs uh, that I have discovered over the past several weeks that actually have, have really cut through and uh, have
0: mean, mean something pretty powerful to me, so I'm really looking forward to doing this. And uh, by doing it, that means talking about the music and the albums and we start with uh with the very first one now after nirvana well i mean broke apart Kurt cobain uh kirk cobain suicide dave grohl had a couple of options he literally could have been the drummer for tom petty and the heartbreakers dan lynch was out petty was looking for a new drummer offer was made he actually did drum with uh with petty on on snl once and if you see it uh, it's hilarious. It's hilarious because Mike Campbell is blown away by the, the power with which Dave Grohl plays the drums. I think it's on "Honeybee," uh, the song of wildflowers, and it's it's hilarious. But Grohl decided he doesn't didn't want to be a drummer in a band. He actually wanted to front a band, or at least do his own thing. And he, he he put together. He was already writing songs when he was in Nirvana. Had about I think forty of them or so, and then put together. Fifteen on a cassette and started literally handing these cassettes out to people saying, you like Nirvana? Here, give this a try. It's a a Foo Fighters. And um, there was a, a bidding war among record companies. Eventually, the album released. I can recall trying to record some of these songs off the radio. That was cheap, and I was 14, and I wasn't going to buy the album. But trying to get, like, (laughs) this is a call off the radio. And I don't think at that point I had made the connection between Dave Grohl being a part of Nirvana and then Dave Grohl being a part of Foo Fighters. It was just darn good music rock and roll music. And um, this is an album where Dave Grohl plays absolutely everything and sings absolutely everything outside of one song, Ecstatic, where the great, great Greg Dooley of Afghan wigs and the Twilight Singers plays a guitar part. I guess he was recording next door and came by and did a a little part. Everything else is all Dave Grohl. And it's impossible to uh, avoid... Comparisons to Nirvana with this first Foo Fighters album, although I think Dave Grohl did his best to, to try to avoid drawing a direct line. Right? Um, the singles are great, and and you know uh, Jay mentioned Big Me and the song, which is almost it's almost emo and like Weezer like. Um, yeah. yeah. But but that video did so much to cement the band I think in the minds of people uh, the the Mentos parody commercial because they were a rock band who was fun and not afraid to make fun of themselves and that's been their kind of, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that's hung on them through their career. And it, I think it's helped them kind of being the nice guy rock and roll star. So Big Me was a huge song. I really like This Is A Call, which is the first song of the album, and I think was the first single as well. I have no idea what the lyrics are about. Most of the lyrics here are nonsensical and, and made up 20 minutes before recording, according to stories. Uh, but This Is A Call is, is just such a great song with great drum fills. I mean, grow, playing drums is, is always going to be a winner. I've liked. I'll stick around a little less and less through the years. It's a fine song. Not there's not a lot going on with it though, so I don't love it. As much as I, as much as I did, perhaps at the time when the when the when the album came out, but some of the album tracks on here were also very good, like "Ecstatic," um, "Alone," and "Easy Target" is one that actually dates back to 1991. It's one of the few songs Dave Grohl played for Kurt Cobain while he was still alive. Cobain reportedly loved it. It's a very Nirvana-esque chorus to "Alone" and "Easy Target." Hey. But uh, this is a strong, strong debut, especially considering it is literally ninety-nine point nine percent the work of one person from start to finish.
1: Funny thing about uh, that first Foo Fighters album when I when you when I listen to things, especially things that I'm I'm you know I'm just absorbing for the first time. As I said earlier, I take notes and I think about. Usually, I relate it to bands and artists that I'm familiar with already to say, well, this sounds like this, this sounds like this. And so I, I wrote down, you know, I go, okay, what does this remind me of? And I wrote down three artists. I wrote down Husker Du, uh, which I then uh, found out is <laughs> been one of Dave Grohl's favorite bands of all time. So mm-hmm. no shock there. I wrote down the Pixies, which of course is a huge influence on, on Nirvana. And then I wrote down My Bloody Valentine, which I actually think is the biggest influence sonically on this record. Uh, it's not the same kind of sheets of sound, but in terms of the way the chords, the chord progressions are structured on this album, you really get that. But what I didn't write down, and I think this is really telling is Nirvana. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't sound like Nirvana with one exception. And everybody talks about uh, how my hero is a is a you know is that a tribute to Kurt Cobain? Forget my hero. The real tribute to Kurt Cobain is this is a call. That sounds exactly like a Nirvana song. It sounds exactly like a song that would have been on whatever the follow up to In Utero was, had there been one. It is a perfect imitation of the sort of the ragged style of kirk cobain's vocals and also the way he liked c- to construct chord changes and hooks it has this very very kind of nagging hook that is that is non-standard you know just the the, the whole opening part mm-hmm. you know uh which is not the way you would structure like a pop hit but it gets under your skin and you can't forget it i, I literally woke up this morning with it dreaming with the song in my head
3: Business.
0: is a pretty good
1: sign that the song has managed to work its way under your skin and i also think lyrically you need know, to talk about how the lyrics on this album are you know just sort of bluffed up and, and made up you know sort of you know hacked out and don't have any particular meaning but then again a lot of the lyrics for nirvana songs didn't have a lot of meaning i mean how far of a difference is it from a mulatto an albino and a mosquito my libido to fingernails are pretty fingernails are good i mean there isn't a huge difference between the two of them although we because of the way kurt cobain went out and because of his obvious sort of seeming the way he, seemingly the way he walked through life traumatized we attribute so much more meaning and pain to a lot of nirvana's lyrics than sometimes are actually there so i think that's a perfect tribute to him and the rest of this album i'm gonna let jay jump in first because i don't want to just ramble on forever but for me the rest of this album is all about my bloody valentine songs like floaty uh, might as well have been directly inspired by the You Made Me Realize EP. And uh, I'll stick around, could be an isn't anything outtake. Ecstatic is straight up loveless. So is Exhausted, which I think may be close to the best song on this album. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love this album, and I love it because it's a one-man-band kind of a thing. I've always responded well to all of that. I love Paul McCartney's two one-man-band albums. It's his debut McCartney, and then the decade later he did McCartney too. And they're very weird and insular, precisely because there's something about a guy who's recording everything by themselves in a studio that creates a sound that even if it, it grooves and it swings, this is a really rocking record. And it, you know, and if you didn't realize there wasn't a band playing there, you. There's not really a band playing there. You might even still realize that something is a little bit amiss because it's almost essentially impossible for one person to simulate the organic sound of a group of people playing all at the same time. This is probably the nature of overdubbing. And I like that hermetic sound to Foo Fighters, the first album. You don't get that on anything else they ever did. It's gone with the next one. Some people would say for the better, but I really love this record.
2: Yeah, it was it it was interesting because again, I didn't listen to the record until their second record came out. Mm-hmm. And it was like one of those things where I was like, oh my god, I've deprived myself two years of listening to this to this album, which is really great. Um it, it is like the the epitome of like a garage band kind of album. You know, it's like Grohl just kind of recorded everything on his own. It's very raw. You know, I, he even says in interviews and stuff. He goes, he never thought that anything was going to come of this. And he, you know, he jokes about the the band name Foo Fighter. He goes, if I thought we were going to be the biggest star. We're to come up with a much better freaking name than Foo Fighters. Um, one of my favorite songs is is actually probably the longest on the album, which is Exhausted, which I think is is, is probably one of my favorites. And this kind of goes back to when he actually I think wrote the song when he was still in in Nirvana. Um, and 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 there were times when he would when when. He would suggest songs to to uh, to Kurt Cobain and and Kurt would like like songs that Dave had put forward, but he thought lyrically they may may have, may have needed something else. So he would shy away from recording them. He would say he didn't want to record them because he didn't want him he didn't want Dave to feel bad that he was going to replace Dave's lyrics with his own. Um, so this kind of came out of that. And it's kind of like a, a, a melancholy song. And in, in, in um, but, you know, it's it. It it captures that rawness, and I think what what Jeff was saying was was is perfectly suited to this. Is that you know this whole idea, and I think uh, you know everybody mentioned it here, is that you know Dave did every every you know he did all the vocals, he did all the instruments, did the drums, did everything, uh, which is you know it's not an easy undertaking to do that to to get a a like Jeff said a a, a, a full sound. You know, be, with one guy doing everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes when you're tracking and stuff, there, you know, there's the opportunity for everybody to play together. So he had to do this all separately and still make it all come together to sound like a like you know an entire band was playing. It was pretty remarkable. And um, it, you know, you go back and listen to it, and I I listened to it as I'm preparing for this because <clears throat> I've been listening to more of the newer stuff, but it's like, man, it's just like if I had listened. In ninety five, I would have said, man, this this band is gonna, you know, if he if he sticks with us, he's gonna go places. So obviously, he did. Uh it just it, it I just had no idea after the only thing I heard was Big Me, which is how good you know, the rest of it was and how how, how much more was gonna come after that.
1: Hey, can I say that I like Big Me, by the way? Oh, you know? it's a good song. Well, I like it yes yeah. I
2: actually like it now. It's just that, you know, when you're sitting there and, and the you you remember hearing Nirvana and you hear the the you know that you know, in the beginning of smells like teen spirit. And all of a sudden it's just like this opening chord, you know, is like this kind of like (laughs)
1: jangly kind of acoustic guitar thing. Yeah.
2: It was just kind of like, wait a minute, man. I was expecting, I was expecting to like jam out to rock out and like, this is it from rape me to big me. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: But I, I I just, to criticize one thing, there uh, it's not a perfect album. I always thought For All the Cows is, is, a, is an alarmingly stupid song. You know, he apparently took 40 tracks, right? This story yeah. is he. he had a bunch of songs he'd been working on over the years, and he narrowed them down. He just recorded his favorite 14. I was like, why is that one of the 14 songs that you chose, buddy? For All the Cows, they even released it as a single. I guess it's kind of got that... That jaunty, beetle-y kind of, or maybe more kinkish, kinksish than anything else, kind of a, a twist to it. But ah, uh, what a what a what a moronically dumb song. Beyond that, I got no real criticism of this album. I like Weenie Beanie, which is a, 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 <laughs> a song whose name I feel stupid saying because apparently it's named after a hot dog stand near where I grew up um i grew up in the dc area dave girl was from alexandria virginia so a lot of the, the local references he makes on these songs are ones that are familiar to me uh weenie beanie is like a, a local hot dog shack uh in northern virginia uh, dumb name great song very hoosker do punk stuff really good song on uh, i guess an album that i'm i'm still not sure what i'm going to name as my two favorites but this is a very good <laughs> candidate to be one of them at the end of the show
0: Political Beats, a presentation of National Review, nationalreview.com. Scott Bertram, Jeff Blair, Jay Caruso with us today, editorial writer, board member at the Dallas News, co-host of the Fifth Estate Show podcast. We talk about Foo Fighters. Uh, Jeff is unsure about his favorite Foo Fighters album. I'll tell you that I am sure, and that is uh, the second album, The Color and the Shape second consecutive week guys we've had a band make a classic album with uh with color in the title and even with the the english spelling with with the u uh the color and the shape from the foo fighters their second album he had to find a a band after the first album to tour and play stuff so nate mandel comes in from sunday day real estate plays bass uh pat smear was playing guitar uh, at least for a while william goldsmith on drums And by the time they got to recording The Color and the Shape, Dave Roll had to re-record the drum parts. Goldsmith said, you want to do that? That's fine, I'm gone. So again, the rotating band members begin. Gil Norton, who, who produced the Pixie stuff, is brought in to produce The Color and the Shape. And it is my favorite. Foo Fighters album. This uh, song cycle, Dave Grohl was was at a marriage uh, that was falling apart. He was falling in love with someone else. The the songs are tracked specifically to kind of take you through the beginning chaos to some happiness toward the end. Uh, and there are so many highlights. Monkey Wrench, I love. And I, I when I was uh, doing music radio, there's that pause. You know, about 20, 25 seconds and It is just long enough to drop in your radio station ID if you're a <laughs> really cool DJ. You can just put it in right there. What a great song, though. That, that final verse, the one last thing before I quit verse. One last thing! Uh, and then and kind of the, 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 more, uh, the, the more the prettier end, the, the fall in, fall out end of the song. Monkey Wrenches just rips it from start to finish. I think it was the first single from the album, and it was the one that really made me take a look and say that the Foo Fighters were going to be a band that was not just a one album kind of band, that they, that they were going to continue on and be very, very good. Uh, hey, Johnny Park is one of my favorite uh, album tracks from the Foo Fighters, those, uh, th- that huge drum kick into it. You know, Dave was probably right that he could play that better. It uh, starts to v- stretch a little vocally on some tunes on Color and the Shape. I think Hey, Johnny Park is one of those, and just a huge arena-sized chorus. Uh, great song. Uh, I'll let someone else uh, dig through Everlong, uh, just to say it is probably my favorite Foo Fighters song. It is many people's favorite Foo Fighters song. And I I didn't realize how great it was until I actually heard the acoustic version that he did on Howard Stern's show, I think, in 1998. And then I began to appreciate just how great of a song it is. I will also mention Walking After You, which I think is just after Everlong. A, a, a quiet song, a contemplative song about about getting dumped, basically. There's a better treatment of this song on the X-Files movie soundtrack. I like that, that production it's the same song but different production and and the one from the X-Files soundtrack I like a whole lot better but even the other album tracks on here are great too Wind Up and Up in Arms it's a great great album guys
1: I actually think "Hey Johnny Park" is my least favorite song on oh. "Color and in the Shade." No, <laughs> it sounds like the Goo Goo Dolls. For God's sake, I'm sorry. There's there's something about that. I literally wrote it down. I mean, I, again, I got my notes open here. I was like, this isn't bad, but it's alarmingly generic, and it sounds like any number of '90s bands could have done it. And then I have a big equal sign that says Goo Goo Dolls, <laughs> um, which which is. More or less the sum total of my criticism of the color and the shape. I started off doing the same thing I did with the uh, Foo Fighters as I listened to this. I said, Well, what do these songs sound like? What do they remind me of? Doll is the opening track, this very short thing. It's acoustic, kind of a, you know, hissily produced, with, obviously with filters placed on, on girls' voice. Sounds exactly, and I have to believe it, it's totally patterned off of We Dance. By Pavement, which is the opening song on Wowie Zowie, Pavement's album that had come out just the year before. Maybe I think you can make an argument that it's Pavement's greatest al- album ever, and Pavement one of my favorite bands of all time. But I stopped making those comparisons two songs into the album, <laughs> and I just got carried away with the music, because Monkey Wrench is just a fantastic power pop song. Um, but this is the album where, like, you know, anybody who's just like, oh, yeah, no, the, the, you know, Foo Fighters, yeah, the singles are okay. The album stuff isn't so good. This is where they're completely wrong because this album is just fantastic from top to bottom, with the exception of Johnny Park, which I don't like. <laughs> one of my favorite moments of the album, my maybe one of my favorite moments of their entire career, is a song called My Poor Brain. Where you know it, it, it's just so wonderful. This is, this album, by the way, is really well formatted and sequenced. All mm-hmm. the songs are you know they start, they stop. There's no, no lazy fade outs or anything like that. These albums, these songs have conclusions and they're segwayed together really quickly, so the whole thing just rolls yep. right along. Yep. And then the beginning of my poor brain fades out. The uh, beginning of it fades in from Hey Johnny Park, and it's just noise. It's this cacophonous noise, you know, like you know screeching guitars. Everything is is really dissonant. It's getting louder and louder and louder. And then... Ah... Beautiful, crystal clear acoustic guitars playing a very beautiful melody, and it just has this wonderful contrast. You know, later in their career, uh, you, you'd have a situation where uh, the Foo Fighters do like a hard rocking album and then an acoustic album at the same time. Well, here's an album where they back in their early days where they combined both of these elements into one song, and I Hmm. preferred it that way. Mm -hmm. My Poor Brain has both aspects of it. I love that song. I love Wind Up, which is of course the, uh, you know, the sort of uh, it's a song of Decrying rock star bitch fests, you know people who say, uh, oh well, it's so hard to to be in this industry and to do this stuff. you know, hope you never see me wind up. It's a really, really good hard rock song, and the last thing I'm gonna say before I turn this over to Jay is you know is if you're gonna be doing an anthemic radio monster hit ballad rock song, you better be able to carry it off with a massive hook and a theme that earns it. And the Foo Fighters absolutely do on My Hero, which is one of those songs where, you know, if it wasn't as good as it is, you would listen to all of the production sounds and it just sounds like 1998. And it's a bit of a cliche in that sense. But I love the chorus on that song I love the guitars in that song everything about it is so epic and there's also something really touching about the theme of the song which Mm -hmm. isn't about you know rock stars or athletes or you know larger than life figures movie stars or anything that it's about you know the guy who uh, picks up a lunch pail and goes to work every day. It's about a guy who's a plumber or a bricklayer or a a family man who comes home and takes care of his kids and loves his wife. That's his hero. It's just normal people living normal, noble lives, which is, you know, for a song that's so kind of bombastic and so sort of, you know, rousingly anthemic, it's it's a really clever inversion of expectations to write it about you know, so, your know, every day heroism—just being being a normal person and being a good person—is good enough to be a hero. You
0: I can't really respect that trick. I can't listen to it without thinking of Varsity Blues, the movie which I watched far too many times around <laughs> the time it, of its thankfully. release. Yes, that's in the, you know, the, the big comeback win of Varsity Blues is set to my hero. So oh, well, that, that'll ruin a mind. song for
2: anything.
3: So, yes. unfortunately.
0: <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that either. <laughs> um,
2: I, you know, I'm, I I I play the drums. I'm not anywhere in anywhere near the stratosphere of Dave Grohl, obviously, Um but that's, you know, you go back to My Hero, it's just the beginning of that is why, you know, it's like it's one of those things where I'm just like, whoa, kind of like drawn in immediately uh, with that song. But the other one of the other songs I think is really good in terms of it kind of gave you it kind of gives you just a little bit of insight into what a great songwriter Dave Grohl is going to become is up in arms, um, which is really a sad, you know, if you it, it, the, the lyrics to it are really said this is really about the breakup um, uh, with his wife. And you know he talks about he says you know and one when one you know one of the verses he says you know uh, he says you know together now I don't know how this love could end my 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 lonely heart it falls apart for you to mend I was the one who left you you know so it's 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 this kind of thing where it's like you know I'm the one that did this but still my heart is broken kind of thing and, and you know and you don't think of the Foo Fighters in, in, in terms of of something like that especially when you see like their videos and they're such big goofballs and stuff to have something that's like so melancholy at their disposal, but it is. you know everlong is you know like you guys talk about monkey Wrench. monkey run is one of those great you know has such a great hook and you you can't like not just kind of rock out that <laughs> song when it's on it's just like impossible uh but everlong really it, it, if there is a song that defines the foo fighters it really was it was one of the there's only been a couple of songs that where i've heard them on the radio like early on my first time and i was just like i was like you know, whoa! This I, I've got to. I can't turn this off. I'm gonna, t- you know, I can, I'm gonna pull a car over so I can listen to the rest <laughs> of the song without having to worry about the road. And that's how I felt about this song. I just so you guys know. I mean, I remember exactly where I was driving when I heard the song start. I was like, you know, I was at work. I worked in. I was this. I was living in Florida. I worked in Ormond Beach i was living in palm coast i was like ready to turn onto my block when this song started and i was able to pull over into a gas station and listen to the rest of the song before i drove home because i didn't want to miss any of it um it 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 is this album yeah this is another one where i can put it on from start to finish and just kind of listen to every track and i think they're all great um, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny. I I, I kind of like Hey Johnny Park, but it's funny that
0: you all know, right. The tiebreaker goes to me. Yes, <laughs> <when> Jeff, <laughs> it, so
2: I like it, but Jeff is right about the whole. You know, when, when I had to keep from laughing when he mentioned uh, when he mentioned the Goo Goo Dolls because I was like, okay, you know, it's actually a pretty fair description of that, but I still like it. this was the album when when this one came out i was like after listening to it i was already like okay i can't wait to see what they've what's going to come out next when are they going to put out their next album you know it was like one of those things one of the kind of hear some more from them so and um yeah this is this before uh taylor hawkins joined and so it's like dave you know and and there's a uh i think there was there was a documentary about the band i can't remember the name of it now where it chronicled this whole thing and uh, where where Dave was listening to the drum tracks and basically decided, you know what, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna re-record all of them, <laughs> uh, because it wasn't good enough. And you know, it, it was kind of tough because uh, who, who was the drummer? I can't even remember his name now. William Goldsmith. Goldsmith. He he didn't tell him he was doing it. Right. You know, he was like, hey, uh, how come I'm not flying down to LA? <laughs> Record anything. Don't you guys need me down there? And they're just like, so it was, that was that was kind of a bummer. Um, but it also showed, you know, Dave to be like this thing. He's like, if, if I'm going to have somebody who's going to play the drums, they've got to play the drums as good as I do or better. You know, and it's it, you know, it, it might have been a crappy way to do it. But, you know, I think probably it would be in, it would be interesting to hear the songs with Goldsmiths drum tracks as to how much different mm-hmm. they would be.
1: It does seem like it would be a pretty thankless job to have to be the drummer in a band that's fronted by a guy who is a drummer. <laughs> yeah, because you just know that, like, you know, there's everything you do is going to be second-guessed by the guy who's sitting there thinking, "I can, I can do this better than you." You know, <laughs> it, it's it's why I think nobody ever tried to replace, say, like Phil Collins in Genesis or something like that. It's like, yeah, I'm gonna let him do the drumming because I'm really not gonna be able to live up to that. Uh, but I actually, the one other thing I want to point out, I, there's like, yeah, so uh, I don't like Hey Johnny Park. I think enough space, maybe kind of a, a bit of a, you know, a bit of a dirge. Uh, but there's another really kind of quiet ballad at the end of this album called February Stars that mm-hmm. I do like. That I really don't think gets a lot of attention. I think it was a, I mean, if I remember correctly from what I was reading, it was actually like like one of the last Nirvana songs ever, songs that the band tried out before Kurt Cobain committed suicide. Just a very quiet little ballad that builds up again. Eventually, you know, all the guitars kick in and it gets really loud, but very pretty song, uh, very sad song. And yeah, this is the first and I think maybe the only time where the lyrics of the Foo Fighters stuff actually make a difference to me because clearly this whole thing all the songs on this record for the most part really are influenced by the dissolution of Grohl's marriage and that melancholy really does shine through on stuff like that new way home Walking after you, see you, which I think is actually a pretty spiffy little ditty. Comes right in right after uh, my hero, but yeah, I mean, uh, I, you know, you said at the beginning there, Scott, that I, you know, I wasn't sure which album was the Foo Fighters' best album. Well, no, uh, I'm pretty sure this is their best album too. I'm not sure what that number two one is going to be, but this <laughs> is just a, you know, it's it's a fantastic record and it's really one of the defining records of the late '90s. Yep. I think it's fair to say.
0: Uh, they get shaved down. The band gets shaved down to a trio for the recording of the next album there is nothing left to lose taylor hawkins is in on drums uh and of course the uh bassist nate is still there and then and then dave Grohl, and that's it it's a three-piece uh there is nothing left to lose it's it's a pretty direct album the way i hear it. you know it's guitar bass drums the one the band that i i, I keep hearing a bit when i l- listen through there's nothing left to lose is actually the Lemonheads. um and there are some really good moments on here. You know, the, the way Jeff does not like Hey Johnny Park from Color in the Shape is the way I do not like Breakout at all from There's Nothing Left to Lose. I think it was the first single before Learn to Fly even. That to me sounds like it could have been any one of 100 songs released around that time. And the uh, kind of the, the, the yelling and shouting at the end by Grohl seems forced and, and not organic to the song. I'm not a fan of Breakout, but there's a lot of other good stuff. Stacked Actors, that first one uh that that abrasive guitar uh real heavy song to start things off and then kind of the more beautiful pop rock of learn to fly which put them into a different stratosphere commercially this was a massive song you could not turn around without bumping into it around the time of the album's release there's an undeniable uh melody in that chorus that is really pretty and the way that the uh The bridge flows directly from the chorus, and I learned to fly, and then directly into that uh, bridge to the last uh, last chorus. It's a really effective piece of songwriting.
1: Yuck. learn to fly by the Foo Fighters learning to fly by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and learning to fly by Pink Floyd okay. in
0: order learning to fly by Pink Floyd is dead last um, <laughs> it's a terrible song <laughs> I, I, I guess I would put l- I would put learning to fly by Petty as one and, and Pro- learn to fly by the Foo Fighters just underneath there And if you had
1: to include "Given to Fly" by Pearl Jam,
0: oh boy, Uh, "Given to Fly" would be uh, uh, (laughs) let's let's do that. Let's like a like a uh, I think a two. I think I might See, put that above the, the Learn joke to fly. Is, this
1: is such a common <laughs> conceit it's used in so many songs that like, I, I literally have like seven more songs that are like Learn to fly or, or given to fly stacked up in my head. It's a pretty common name, but it's a very good song. Um, Sorry
0: and, to interrupt. Yeah, and, uh, no, no, no. And then another great video, which again helps cement the band's I think, kind of. Comedic, uh, less than serious reputation uh, for MTV viewers. Uh, Next year is 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 an album track that I I like a lot. It's got just a a very beautiful, lush, sweet melody, and you can't discount the importance of those melodies to so much of what made the Foo Fighters and makes the Foo Fighters very, very good. Um, I know Jeff's going to talk. I think about Aurora, which is one of his favorite tracks in the album. I I don't like this as much as either of the first two albums, but there's still, I think, a continuity and uh a sound to this album that would kind of fall away in in the next few releases. This is still a very quality effort by what at this point was just a trio. Uh, I don't know if you call them a power trio, Jeff. You're an expert on power trios. Um <laughs> but uh but but a good one.
2: Jay, you go first. Yeah, this you know, I think I think the addition of of Hawkins was was a great idea. I, you know, and and surprisingly enough, he you know, he took a risk because you know, the Foo Fighters really hadn't blown up yet and he was playing with alanis morissette yeah. who was you know at the top of the world at that point and so he's like yeah but i want to come and join this little band that you guys have and just you know maybe fall on my sword while my while alanis morissette goes and sells billions of albums um but it worked out i think learn to fly i think was uh was 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 the first was the first video that I saw, or probably the second, I saw saw a big me video, but this one was great. I mean, and this kind of gives you that sense that these guys don't take themselves too seriously because, you know, especially Grohl, who was like, you know... Uh, he got d- dressed up in the video as like, you know, a, 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 I think it was a he was he was a, a young, like teenage girl who recognized the real Dave Grohl is walking by. And then he was also the big fat woman that, you know, yeah. was like squeezing into the seats and, and was given the the coffee with the cocaine in it and everything like that. So and of course, he was one of the one of the pilots. So, you know, he played like three or four different roles in this in this in this goofy video. And where the heck did they get the
1: idea of all things? You're gonna do a parody video. I get doing like a Mentos commercial. That's current and fresh. People knew the Mentos stuff. Airport seventy (laughs) seven? This is a film that like nobody remembered a year after it came out in nineteen seventy seven. And yet it's a shot for shot remake. I don't know why they decided to do that, but it's pretty inspired.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's it's just funny. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, the song Walk later in the show. But, you know, I mean, that, that, you know, they the video is based on an old movie that came out 20 years before that. So um, <laughs> it's kind of weird. You know, th- 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 this was, you know, this was a, I, th- it's a couple of songs that really don't stand out to me here. I just remember I remember liking this one um, at the same time I thought I thought that the Foo Fighters was missing a little bit as 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 a three piece mm-hmm. band, and that's I think you know it, with with the departure of Pat Smear, who just really bring you know it's like and when you when he comes back, you kind of hear you yeah. just know when Pat is playing uh. on a record, and so I thought that was missing a little bit because uh, you know Dave is Dave is you know he's he's a he's a decent guitarist, but he'll even tell you he's not the greatest guitarist in the world, and so I thought it, it, some of it was a little little empty. I thought I think Breakout is. I liked it probably a lot, a lot more than Scott, um, <laughs> but there's nothing on this one. there's this one I think was a was a collection of the whole. There wasn't outside. Of Learn to fly. I didn't have any songs that really stood out to me that I would sit there and say, "Yes, you know, Headwires is good, but is it like as great as you know, as you know, is Learn to Fly or is what about MIA? Yeah, that's a pretty good song too. I think this is more of a collective. The album, I think, in this case. Was probably better than the singles that they produced off of the album. See
1: now, the, the uh, two songs that you just mentioned there, "Headwires" and "M.I.A." Are, are two songs that I would single out as being really excellent. I really like M.I.A. and I really like "Headwires," which, boy, in a weird way, puts me in the mood of a Blondie track called "Union City Blue." Um, it has again, I just I always focus in on the chord changes that Grohl comes up with because they're they're very influenced both by post-punk, and by the Pixies and Nirvana, and they all, of course, flow along a continuum, but you get that in Headwires. The real I think this album's pretty underrated, and I think the real spine of it isn't uh, the singles, isn't Learn to Fly, uh, which I like, but I I don't love, or Stacked Actors, which I do think is pretty good. The the real spine of this album are the two songs in the middle of it, which I think are, quietly, two of the best songs Dave Groh ever wrote, which are Generator, which I love. I love that "I'm a Generator" uh, hook in the chorus. I think it's a fantastically weird and weirdly structured and uh, and written song. And then Aurora, which comes right after it, which is just quiet and then builds again into a, a, something that isn't, you know, the radio alternative pop. It actually reminds me of some of the sort of side paths that their contemporaries were also exploring at that time i think of the way pearl jam was going down a couple side alleys on yield in 1998 aurora feel feels to me like uh you know a, a late 70s or early 80s post punk experiment that sounds a little bit more modernized because of the way the guitars are
3: recorded I just
1: just a fantastic song those two i like so much i like live in skin a lot i think actually the second half of this album holds together for me a lot more than the first half which Mm -hmm. is funny because the first half is the song or is the part of the album that has all the hit singles on it and the the ones that i like aren't the ones that ended up on like their greatest hits for example so i think this is one of their more underrated records and i think it's it's um it's the of the first three albums I consider to be of a piece when I go back and I listen to these. They all sound like they're the same group despite the personnel changes and all that. But they're all kind of carried along by a similar sound and a similar momentum. And then it all, in my opinion, goes a bit pear-shaped on the next record aside from a couple of tracks, which is one by one. I don't know what you guys think of that one. But that's that's the first one where I listen to it, and I'm just I'm not that impressed.
0: Well, no one apparently, at least retrospectively. I think Grohl <laughs> <band>. pretty Yeah, <laughs> yeah Grohl th- pretty I soon. I think
1: they're, they're too tough on some of those songs. We'll get, Yeah, you guys go first.
0: Gr- Grohl pretty soon after the uh, One by One release, maybe a year after after the sales were over. There's four songs in there that are great and seven mm-hmm. I'd never listen or play uh, anymore. Uh, there was a lot of internal uh, uh, friction uh, during the recording of One by One. New guitarist, Chris Shiflett. Uh, enters the band. I just found out about this last night, listening to a uh, a podcast featuring uh Steve Gorman, who's the drummer for was the drummer for the black crows at this time he was i guess doing some just uh rehearsals with slash and Chris Schifflet had come to town to actually audition to be a member of Guns N' Roses and was in town when Foo Fighters were also looking for a guitarist and ended up with Foo Fighters. I think it worked out okay for him um but I mean, the band nearly split the um uh, the, the final tracks were recorded in about two weeks and there's some um, um unfinished songs uh, just meaning that they sound unfinished not that there's you know things missing but they could have been produced better they could have been written a little more fully this is one album where the, the singles are the singles for an excellent reason all my life is just an aggressive dark powerful song uh when i listen i keep waiting for this release that doesn't come, it's all this tension, um, and then, you know, done, done, on to the next one.
3: All night long, I'm of the day, when it comes around and it's taken away, leaves me with a feeling that I feel the most, feel it come to life when I see your ghost, then I'm done.
0: Great track, and times like these uh, is another great uh, single uh, with Grohl and Schifflit, the dueling guitar leads, um, and, and the the hat tip to Husker Doo, the "I'm a New Day Rising" lyric in times like these. Outside of those singles, guys, I maybe "Halo," maybe "Lonely as You," are okay. I, the, the last third or so of the album really bogs down. Overdrive, I think, is one of the most generic rock songs the foo fighters ever did so in in, in the retrospective uh, kind of look back at at one by one where fans don't like it a lot apparently and the band doesn't like it a lot i i can't say they're totally wrong
1: i don't i don't think it's as bad as the band thinks it is in retrospect uh but i agree that a lot of it does sound generic um all my life actually is uh Big hit for them, but it's never kind of been a big, big favorite of mine from looking at all, you know, their their supposed singles. It's kind of just got a thunk, a thunk, a mess, and it never quite breaks through in a memorability for me. Um, I think, though, that there are songs here that are really, really kind of underrated because nobody cares about them or talks about them. They aren't singles like I really love Tired of You. Uh, you know, it's the, I won't go getting tired of you. I won't go getting tired of you. I mean, that is a solid, compelling song. But the problem is, is that it, there are it, it, you know songs like that that are hypnotic and long, low key, uh, would be forgiven on like a debut LP, mm-hmm. uh, not as the fourth record of a major smash hit rock group. You front load all of the singles on a record like this. And then you leave the rest of the record to sort of flap about, and people are going to say that it lacks focus. But I also, that's so I like Tired of You. I think that's good. I think Halo is a fantastic song. And uh, the other thing I want to say about this album is that it is the source of the one Foo Fighters song that I actually realized when I went back and I listened to it that I had indeed heard before, and I didn't <laughs> know it was a Foo Fighters song, which is "Times Like These," one of the big hits, one of their biggest hit singles of all time. You know, it's the one. You know, "I'm a New Day Rising," and I was like, "Well, why do I know this?" And then I realized it's the theme song of Washington Nationals radio broadcast, which I always listen to. I have you know, my MLB.com subscription, and I listen to a Washington Nationals radio at the end of every game uh, where the Nats win. They play times like these by the Foo Fighters. Of course, the Foo Fighters are a local band because it's Alexandria, Virginia, and I was always like, oh, yeah, that, that's a nice, nice modern rock song.
3: I, am a new day! I never thought for a
1: second that it was the foo fighters or anything like that so it's always one of those weird moments where you come back and you realize <laughs>
0: that you've known a song all your life see that's going to happen I, when with rush too you're gonna to, you're gonna to listen to rush finally you're saying i've heard tom sawyer a bunch of times i've heard all these songs a bunch <laughs> yeah, of yeah,
1: times i certainly hope not i hope i don't find myself <laughs> saying oh yeah spirit of the radio i secretly like that song i just know them by titles now and i like <laughs> it that way i don't know anything else but yeah so this album is not as nearly as good in my opinion as the first three but it's not as terrible as they say it is
2: yeah i don't i didn't i didn't think it was a terrible album but i know that when i got it and i was like excited for it and when i listened to it i was like oh this is pretty good but i was i it it was it was disappointing i think uh, as a whole um i i actually really like all my life i think it's probably the best song on the album i think Times like these, and this may get me in trouble with some food fighters fan, but I think times like these is actually a little bit overrated. It's just, it, it I don't know. It, it, it's hard for me to explain why I think it's a little overrated, but I think it's probably just one. It, it sounds like a song that they put together because they said we need, we want to get a hit off of this one, and th- th- this one will work. Um, the other thing that is is pretty uh, interesting about this album is like it became, it's like one of the longest. I mean, this, this is like almost an hour. Mm-hmm. And so it, and and with less tracks, so it was the next it, one's like ninety minutes what? <laughs> What's that? The next one's like ninety minutes long. It's a double album. It's a double album, but I'm saying this was this was one with eleven they, they had fourteen songs. it was like forty four minutes. This is eleven songs. the clock's into like fifty six minutes. yeah, and so I think it was a uh, comeback, I think was like almost like eight minutes long, and it's an eight almost an eight minute long slog. And I, you know, it's funny. I've listened to it a couple times all the way through. Most of the time, I can't get through. It. It's like when if I hear it come on, or if I like I'm playing it in the car or something, or I've just got the the album going on. You know, I I immediately go over and hit next and and go to <laughs> something else. It was just, it's, it's just um tired of you. Decent song. Same thing with Disenchanted Lullaby, which is kind of like a little odd uh, number that they wrote. But it, it, all in all, it it sounded like a record that they recorded in two weeks. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree with that, and and uh, you know, the, as I mentioned, this was nearly a breaking point for the band. So in a way, even to get more music out of the Foo Fighters is a is a good thing, and, and there is more to come. Political beats here: Scott Bertram, Jeff Blair, Jay Caruso at Jay Caruso on Twitter. Uh, you can follow him there, and he is the editorial writer, board member, Dallas News. Co-host of the Fifth Estate Show podcast. You can find the show, of course, nationalreview.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn. New episodes most Mondays of Political Beats. In Your Honor is is next, and this is what I refer to uh, as the as the g- gimmick portion of the band's career. And I don't necessarily <laughs> mean that as a uh, as a pejorative, but from this point forward, everything the band does, every release has this hook to it to get you interested. And this one's going to be different. So, In Your Honor, the hook is, hey. It's two discs. One's really hot and heavy and the hardest stuff we've ever done. And the other is acoustic and is soft and and, and gives you a new side of the Foo Fighters. Both albums are ten songs long. I would have far preferred they made this one disc and actually just, you know, mixed up the hard stuff and the soft stuff with some nice sequencing. I I will say the first disc, the, the, the hard rocking disc... Which, by the way, Dave Grohl says this is the band's physical graffiti because they show you everything they can do. Uh, yeah. per- perhaps reaching a little too far here. But there is a great stretch of, of music on In Your Honor um, No Way Back, Best of You, DOA, which I think is two, three, and four, tracks two, three, and four. That's a pretty killer uh, stretch of tracks there. No Way Back is this fast, uh, melodic song and reminds you a lot of the first album stuff. Maybe. of You was the big, big single here, and I think Best of You reminds me too that, you know, the Foo Fighters resonate more w- w- when, the lyrics, when the lyrics are, are relatable, right? Uh, Best of You is about, you know, kind of John breaking... John Kerry. Yeah, uh, 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 Dave Grohl <laughs> had done a lot of, uh, of work for John Kerry at 04 and, and, and influenced some of the songs, including Best of You, but uh, and the lyrics are kind of, you know, breaking away from what is confining you from being great and... When you have these kind of emotional calls in the lyrics, the relatable lyrics, I think it helps. Best of You has that. And DOA is a great uh, song. Some wonderful guitar work um, and, and really passionate playing. And I think it's followed up maybe right afterwards by Hell, which is less than two minutes. Might be the, one of the shortest tracks of their catalog. It's really wall of sound. It's very tight. Focused track of rock and roll. There's a few tracks near the end. I like I like resolve quite a bit. Uh, I think end over end is pretty good. And I guess I'll mention the second. We take them both at once. The the second acoustic disc. I, I I I didn't like. I don't like all that much. John Paul Jones guests. There's a couple of uh, of uh, of neat song. Miracle um, with John Paul Jones doing some some instrumentation. The one song I like actually quite a bit is Virginia Moon. Nora Jones guests as a vocalist. And actually has you know this like flamenco guitar and. Uh, you know some jazzy lyrics and even some crooning involved, certainly a different side of the band it 's one that sticks out to me from uh, from the from the acoustic disc and uh, I think razor, which I think is the last song on um, on the second disc um, also is one that stands out but you know for me, the first track or the first disc actually is probably my favorite of them since color in the shape I would say um, I just wish the two the two the two discs would have been combined stronger stuff.
1: The first disc is actually pretty credible hard rock. I actually you you, you mentioned the best stuff. I really like No Way Back, and I really really like Best of You as well. Um, the second acoustic disc uh, is the. Foo Fighters version of, in my opinion, uh, Pat Boone's in a metal movie. It's really embarrassing. And, um, you know, okay, yeah, I I do like the Nora Jones track. That's okay, I guess, but it's so uncharacteristic for the Band. And I don't mind it when groups stretch themselves, you know, like, you know, here, here's something that's completely uncharacteristic. You know, I, you think about it, most of these songs always started life as acoustic guitar demos. Anyways, that's the way people often just record, you know, their mm-hmm. ideas. So I'm not necessarily opposed to that in any way. But, man, it, it, it feels so heavy-handed. It feels like they're really kind of trying to force this music into arrangements where it doesn't belong. And, again, because of the fact that they're cramming so much material onto the record... Uh, the quality control has gone out the window I mean here's the thing I, I don't actually think there's anything on these prior few albums even you know even the last one which I criticized but uh, none of them are bad I don't find right. there's any moment where I'm like oh crap hit fast forward I can't stand this song even on one by one everything is at least good, good. The, this, this band is like shockingly competent <laughs> for that. All right? yes, yes. in your honor is one of the very few times where I'm like ah oh, this is just unbearable maudlin garbage and I don't want to listen to it so yeah the second half the second disc of this I find it to be almost completely worthless. Um, the first half, the first disc is uh, pretty good. The only thing I don't really much care for is like, uh, the, the deepest blues are black, ah, whatever. Um, but yeah, the rest of it is pretty good in your honor is a really kind of really tough way to start the record. And I like that. I don't, think that it's the heaviest they've ever been. I don't really think that kind of a designation makes much sense for the Foo Fighters because, you know, the music is always pretty heavy. It's like, you know, saying Nirvana was the heaviest they'd ever been on in utero. Well, (laughs) you know, Nevermind was pretty loud, too, buddy. So, no, I don't buy that. I just think it's good music for the most part. Uh, But, yeah, overall, it's a dire record simply because they didn't have the sense to edit out the second part. (laughs)
2: <laughs> that's, that's pretty much my take let, let me put it this way the, to me this is like their overall weakest effort that in playlists that I ha- if I was to sit there and make a playlist the only song off this album would be Best of You that would make it onto that playlist If I was going to introduce, like, somebody new to the Foo Fighters, I would, like, it, you know, it's like if you had the CD case or something and you'd rip one half and just, like, throw the the acoustic out and say, yeah, just listen to this and then go listen to other stuff because it's so much better. Start with this and then listen to other stuff. Or maybe, you know, you don't want to give it to them because it's not going to – they're not going to continue to listen. Um, it, it, it was it, – it was – you know it started with the previous album and then this one came and i was like oh man i said these guys are like done i mean their best work has already been done it was kind of like one of those things where i didn't even i at, when i heard this album i wasn't even looking forward to the next one <laughs> I, I just thought you know the, the best is the best has been done i'll just go back and listen to the color and shape again and um you know, I'll enjoy it. I, I, when I listen to it again, preparing for this, it's like, OK, you know, DOA is actually much better than I thought it was. And Resolve is is, is probably a really good song. But still, overall, it was it was just kind of like I I can't even explain. It's hard for me to even explain how I feel about it. It just it wasn't that I hated it. But I didn't love it, and I just—I hated the acoustic side. I really did. <laughs> I was actually looking forward to some of that because I wanted to see what they could do. Because, like Jeff said, you know, most songs start off acoustically, and a lot of times you'll hear an acoustic version. Like the acoustic version, like you, you said, <clears throat> Scott earlier, you said the acoustic version of of, of Everlong, Everlong, yeah, is really terrific. And there's the one he did on Howard Stern. There's there's also a recorded version. It's great. So you're like, okay, maybe these are songs that they were gonna like throw onto a regular rock album and they decided to go with the acoustic version. It was just a a major disappointment. The entire album was a major disappointment to me. And you would have been wrong, though, if
1: you had assumed that this was the end for the Foos. Yes. Because their next album is shockingly an improvement. I mean, it's so much better. I guess, you know, taking two, three years off will do that. You know, you get a lot of time to recharge your batteries, but Echoes, Silence, Patience and Grace. I was, you know, as I said, you know, going through this discography the first time, you know, you know, just recently, I had the same thought that you did. I was like, oh man, well, this is where it all falls apart from them, isn't it? Although I remembered I DM'd you, Jay, and you said you know, you, you, keep your ears to, to the ground for these later few albums. They're actually really good. <laughs> and wow, I think you're right. I, I, I think that, that the, what comes next after Echoes and Silence is even better. But I think this is a massive rebound. I. Am a huge fan of at least half of this record. I think, you know, just to start with the stuff that I don't like. I don't think Home is that good. I don't like Summers End. I don't like the Beaconsfield minor song. Um, hmm. But I really love the first half of this album. Go we'll to track like we'll Go All the Way Up to to like cheer up. The first six or seven songs in this thing I think blow me away. I love the Pretender, which uh, throws in violins and does it in a way that is not. Glurgy or stupid or obtrusive, but is really subtle and very kind of ominous and clever. Really good hard rock and, uh, you know, also a very poppy song that they, they managed to incorporate, uh, you know, you, know, you know, stringed instruments and do it in a way that doesn't sound cheesy or phony. Let It Die is, I think, even better than The Pretender. I love the, um, you know, it's it, it's a pretty brutal refrain, pretty brutal chorus, but I really love the 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 chord progressions that go up and down on that. And uh, the one that I just absolutely adore, though, because it, it it's again just kind of comes out of nowhere. It's goofy. Is a uh, cheer up, boys. Your makeup is running. You know, look at you, you silly pansies. Buck up. <laughs> Life is good. You know, you know, y- all things considered, you could be in a lot worse position than you are right now. Cheer up. And it's just such a fun. Little, like, goofy pop song with the whole stop, 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 stop stop chorus. Um, How could anybody not like that song? How is that song not on their greatest hits album? I think it's a fantastic. a lot of this record for that reason. It just seems like they perked up.
0: I'll push back. <laughs> Jake yeah. can, can tell me I'm wrong. Um I I like the first disc of In Your Honor better than I like Echo, Silence, Patience, and Grace. But the weird thing is there are a few tracks that are, I think, upper echelon, and, and the rest I uh, don't do as much. The Pretender... It's probably my favorite, you know, late era or you know, second half of the career single from the Foo Fighters. That is a great song, and I thought yeah. that from the first time I heard it. This, you know, the slow build at the beginning, that crushing riff, a humongous chorus, and my favorite part is probably that that like that the Chuck Berry riffing section right near yeah. the middle. Yeah. I love that part. The Pretender is a fantastic song. It's my favorite one on the album.
3: The page is out of print
0: They were more like it. And Um, it's really kind of complex for like a radio hit single. They
1: throw a lot of different ideas into that, Stu.
0: Yep. Uh, The hook here, by the way, is that that Gil Norton's back and he had produced Hmm. uh, uh, Color and the Shape. Uh, and so he's back for this album, and they're also throwing in some strings and some violins, which which Jeff had mentioned. Uh, I, I do like Summer's End, which Jeff didn't like so much. It's almost kind of an Americana kind of bent to it. Uh, and they give it some space. I, I like the way that song unfolds nicely. Um, actually, not a huge fan of Let It Die. I don't like statues, which sounds... Uh, straight out of the Ben Folds catalog, with the okay. with the piano taking the lead and a big drum sound, it sounds straight out of like Ben Folds Five catalog. You're out right about Cheer Up Boys. That's a good song, I, but, you know, much like Jake can't explain exactly why In Your Honor just disappointed him. I, I don't know if I can tell you exactly why Echoes disappointed me, but I, I I just do not like it as much as that, as that first disc of In Your Honor, with the exception of the Pretender, which I think is is it's going to be on my top five list. I think it's an all time Foo Fighter song. Yeah. So when
2: I heard this and I, when I heard the pretender, I was like, they're back. I was like, OK, now I, I you know, I, I heard the single first before I went out and bought the album, but I, I went out and bought it right away. And I, you know, I love it. I um, let it die is a great song. And I love how when let it die ends. It goes right into a race, replace almost it sounds like one song you know it's like they hit this stop at the end of let it die and then all of a sudden it race starts and at first you think it's a, it, you know it's just they stop for a second and then they launch into another portion of the song but that's actually a separate song like the way they do that Another song that was on here that made a great video, another funny video, was Long Road to Ruin. Um, yeah. Is that, the, is that the one where he ends up driving off the cliff? Yes. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, got, he's got the long, goofy hair, the big, the big mustache, and the thing. You know, it's another one of those ones where the guys get dressed up, kind of looking, looking stupid, and they don't care <laughs> because they're just having fun. Um, I particularly like, you know, close to one of the, the last songs, But Honestly, and that is this one that just starts out with this nice acoustic guitar and then you you know, and this is typical a lot of Food Fighter songs, you know, it starts off light and it moves heavy. And you know, when he's saying that, give it to you, you know, and it's repeating and then you can kind of hear it building, building, building. And when it just breaks into that, into that um, you know, all of a sudden it goes from this acoustic song, just explodes. And, you know, it just it, the, the guys go crazy and it's so much fun to listen to. It's actually one of those rare songs. Uh, on, in you know in latter day music in the in the two thousands where where it fades instead of you know instead of ending you know you, you, fades used to be the big thing back in the eighties mm. with you know with, with air metal so these the song faded out which was kind of odd um, but this when when I when I heard this as a whole I was like okay you know these guys finally you know they, I don't know what they did but whatever they did it worked and the Foo Fighters that I fell in love with. You know, from the color and the shape are, the, are, are back
0: I feel that way about the, uh, the next album actually uh, <laughs> Wasting Light and uh, this is one that was pretty universally praised as being a return to, to form for the band uh, the Wasting Light hook uh, Butch Vig who produced Nirvana stuff? Is producing this? Pat Smear is back full time, and there's guests: Bob Mould, Chris Novoselic, and for some reason, Fee Waybill from the Tubes is also. <laughs> guest.
1: Actually, actually, the real gimmick to me was like it's an all analog recording. Yes, that thing. too. Recording on it. tape. Exactly. They stitched it together. They did you know edits with razor blade as opposed to you know Pro Tools and computers.
0: It's all very very warm. Uh, but this is this is really 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 good guys as, as close yeah. to the first two albums as they perhaps ever might have left in them but just the, the start of the uh, of the album man bridge burning the, the, those kind of uh, like you know insect sounding guitars to start things off rope. Uh, reminds me so much of Presence-era Led Zeppelin. Uh, For Your mm-hmm. Life, especially, which I know Jeff is a big fan of, and I, I yes. am too. But but Rope has that kind of start-stop rhythm and these angular chords. I actually did not like Rope. I remember when the single came out, when the album was released, and I didn't like it that much. But it's grown on me an awful lot. Rope's a good song. Dear Rosemary is where Bob Mould, Moose <laughs> comes in. He sings, he plays. And what I like so much about this is you actually... You actually hear bob mold sing and play and that doesn't happen on sonic highways which is next or actually on a lot of tracks where you you know rock tracks where oh yeah this guy guy joined him in studio you're like where i can't hear it uh you can hear bob mold singing and playing on dear rosemary which is just a great straight ahead rock and roll tune um arlandria is uh i I think again a a pretty classic uh fighter song one of the more Powerful choruses that they have, and all, one of the times too when all three guitarists—because Pat Smears back and Schifflit's still here—and and and, uh, and of course Dave Grohl plays guitar—you can actually hear all three of those guys in this song, what they bring to the table, and, and the different ways that they play. Hey! Just good guitar pop it almost has like this this cars esque guitar line for the verses uh, I, I don't think it keeps up quite through the end of the album or at least the second half of the album but man that first half of wasting light is about as close as I've heard through their catalog of them getting back uh, or being as good as sections of those first two albums
2: Jay um yeah th- this was this is probably one of my one of my favorite Foo Fighters uh, records, especially when uh, I think the first track that was released uh, was White Limo. And White Limo is just this balls to the wall, hard rock song. You can barely make out what Dave is singing because he's like screeching through the whole thing. And the video is amazing because it's kind of like this 80s throwback kind of VHS thing with (laughs) Lemmy driving around (laughs) in a limo being is, is, is the limo driver and they're just, you know, there's certain points where they're just like performing the song in the in the middle of a parking lot. There's really nothing going on. It's just a, it's it, one of those same goofy videos that those guys always do. Um, Rope, like Scott, you were talking about it. It's like Rope is actually a song that is so much better when you see them perform it live. Oh, I can imagine. Uh, because they're it's especially uh, uh, Taylor's drum work when he gets to do that little solo in the middle he adds so much more to it than what's on the what's on the record itself so you know it just gives you an idea just how quickly and how fast he can play and how 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 much these guys are in the pocket if you ever want to go look at them playing it look search for rope live on letterman and you know that is probably their best uh, uh version of that particular song um you know, dear Rosemary, with with Bob Mold, this was the, the 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 and I can't oh gosh. Maybe you put it in the show notes. The, the documentary about the Foo Fighters. Called, were I think it's called Back on. and Forth. I think. No, yeah, I think that. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Back and forth. So they were when they were recording this. They actually had the cameras in studio for the recording of this yeah, album because well, it was at right. Dave's house. Yeah. Right. It's, <laughs> it's easy to do in <laughs> studio, meaning in garage, right? In his garage, and they were recording this song. And and Dave's daughter kept running up to him saying, Dad, you said we were going to go swimming. <laughs> you know I don't mean? like, <laughs> like, record this thing. So at first, he actually they didn't have the lyrics for the bridge that him and Mold were singing. And so they kind of just did this kind of like acapella thing where they just kind of mouth. And then he was like, OK, I'm going to go off. And, he, and you see him like Dave. He's like writing these lyrics and he hands them back to Bob. They cut to Dave like. In the pool with his daughter swimming and everything <laughs> while Bob is recording his his vocal track and then they go back in and he and Dave's listening to him and you know he's listening and he's just like ah, you know and they hug and it was like, you know, and like Scott was saying, you could really hear Bob Wall's voice on us. He's got such an incredible voice. So the harmony between the two of them is really terrific. Um one of the one of the more powerful songs on this record is I Should Have Known, which yeah. is kind of like a slow mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, and you know, he he's never really talked about what the song is about, but some people have said that they think it's about Kurt Cobain, and you know, probably some anger that he worked out over the guy, you know, killing himself. Uh, and this is where I think Chris Novoselic played on this particular yes. uh, track. Uh, and then there's, um, you know, and that and that was just great because it also really showed how Dave Grohl was growing as a singer, as a vocalist uh because he didn't just scream he actually could you know he could he could really bring some power vocals there and his voice is getting i think you know it's funny now you know he's in his late 40s i'm probably 50 at this point he's probably a better singer now than he was 20 years ago then there's walk which is a great song as well and that is the one where if you've never seen falling down with michael douglas you wouldn't know what the hell was going on
0: Um, i love falling down by the way (laughs)
2: yeah it's a great movie and it's like what in the world are they doing this is like from like 20 you know 20 20 something years ago and it was it was this this movie that a lot of people you know it was it they hate you know not critics but you know social people hated it and stuff like that i don't think you could ever make that movie nowadays no but it followed that same path you know with 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 Grohl sitting there in the car (laughs) third glasses on and everything and kid giving him the finger and stuff and it's just so funny Uh, but that's one of those songs where you know when they start going through they go through they get towards the end it just kind of keeps going going it's just like it you know this this whole kind of the band really like really came together. Now that they were a five piece, and of course Romy Jaffe at this point was playing with them, wasn't an official member of the band. Uh, but I think this was the album that that where they finally hit this point where they proved that they were not just a very good rock band. I think this this is where I started to say that you know you could say they were an, a great rock band.
3: Son, Son of a, a
1: bitch! Gee, you, you, you stole my. Stole my-, my- <laughs> Okay. okay, well, Jay actually just said the thing I was going to say, but I'm going to say it again because what, what would political beats be without a little bit of repetition, right? I was going to literally say that if you want to make the argument, you want to make the case for the Foo Fighters as a truly great band as opposed to just like you know a really good band, a solid group, you know… You know, just like yesterday,
2: yesterday, last
1: week when we did talk talk. You know, people think of them as like a one hit wonder from the '80s. I think they are a truly great band. And the argument you make there is by citing "The Color of Spring," "Spirit of Eden," "Laughing Stock." When I talk about the Foo Fighters and I want to make an argument that like this is more than just a band that pumped out a couple, you know, few few good albums and a couple of nice singles. It's "Wasting Light," where you start, where they come back after years, and they've. Found a way to somehow refine out all of the garbage, all of the BS, all of the sort of the bloated puffery of their inner ring, uh, of their their intermediate era, and they put out an album. It's forty-seven minutes. It's not like super brief, but it feels really streamlined. It feels really powerful. And by God, there is something to be said for recording it in a garage, <laughs> you know, and doing doing the whole back to basics thing. Of course, the back to basics thing doesn't work if the songs aren't there and in this case the songs are absolutely there there are so many of these songs we get to the end of the show and we're doing the whole top five thing i i I agonized. I'm like, you know, I have four songs from this album that I'd like to put on there, and I don't know which one I'm going to choose. So I had to choose one. You'll find out which one that is. But there are so many tunes here that I think are fantastic. Arlandria, I love. I absolutely love. I know Scott loves it, too. And I love it uh, not only because it's just a magnificent hard rock song, but also because it's one of those songs that gives me the weird facade of hearing somebody sing about a place I know (laughs) about this neighborhood. (laughs) It's Alexandria, Virginia. It's like, you know... 15 minutes away from where I grew up across the state line in Maryland. It's just very strange to hear a song named after a very obscure part of, um, you know, the suburban Virginia uh, city that, you know, otherwise nobody would ever care about. But, man, what an incredible hook. White Limo is amazing. You guys already talked about Rope, so there's really no need to talk about it. And, unfortunately, you talked about my favorite song, which is Dear Rosemary. Dear Rosemary is just a magnificent song. I love the fact that, yeah, as you said, Bob Mould comes in and he sounds like he's Bob Mould. And, you know, of course, uh, Dave Grohl had talked many, many, many times about how much a fan he was of the Hooskers, of Husker do. And uh, he's, there are many, many songs in the Foos discography that sound like Husker Do tributes. I already discussed some of them back in the day. But when you brought them in, they didn't bring them in for some sort of, you know, half-assed, you know, here's a celebrity guest. They brought them in for what I think is one of the best songs Dave Grohl has ever written on an album that is actually kind of chock full of them. So I am so impressed with Dear Rosemary. <laughs> back and forth there, I, I should have known I also think thank you for singling that out Jay I always I, I, I looked at the lyrics you know as I was listening to this like oh yeah that's obviously about Kurt Cobain then I found out that Chris Novoselic plays on it I was like well that's definitely about Kurt Cobain now um, whether I'm right or I'm wrong I'm not sure but it, it, it's pretty hard to uh, avoid the speculation this is um, uh, just just kind of a surprise you know you, you listen to an artist's discography and they go in arcs they have you know sort of very predictable it would seem um, you know evolutions they they sometimes will start off with a bang and then go immediately downwards or they'll start off small and they'll they'll peak and then they'll decline but I'm always fascinated by those artists that make that late career revival, that that, 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 that surprise you by pulling something out of their hat. Um, I think Radiohead is a classic example of doing that with In Rainbows, which I think is actually their best album. This, uh, is it the, as good as The Color and The Shape or in The Foo Fighters? Boy, I'm not sure, but it is so close uh, that – The mere fact that you can argue it and people aren't going to think you're crazy about making that argument is tribute enough to how good Wasting Light is. And I really recommend that people listen to this podcast. Check this album out.
0: Political Beats, Scott Bertram, Jeff Blair, Jay Caruso at Jay Caruso on Twitter. You can follow the show on Twitter at political underscore beats. We're talking about Foo Fighters and uh, two more albums to go. Um, interested to hear thoughts on Sonic Highways, because it is the follow-up to Wasting Light, which we all agree is a fine return to form. And I don't get that same kind of uh, feeling from Sonic Highways. Uh, the, the hook here is that uh, Dave Grohl is going from city to city across the U.S., uh, kind of meeting with people, who uh, uh, musicians who are well-known, being from that place, inviting them on to play on the song, on the album. 8 songs, 42 minutes. I don't even really like the cover guys. It reminds me of like a Chicago album cover mixed with Breakfast from uh, Breakfast in America from Supertramp. No, um, no, so- no, 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 no. It looks like the cover of Oasis is standing on the oh, shoulders right. of
1: giants. That,
0: well, that, that's in there too. Yes. Um, so these 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 tracks, um, again, there there are guests in all of them, but you don't feel them and you don't hear them. Uh something from Nothing is Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick. Uh, that might be my favorite track of these eight, funky kind of track, which is not a feature of a whole lot of Foo Fighters songs. There's a huge climax to this track with the screaming and shredding of the guitars. Uh, something from Nothing's All Right. But, uh, you know, Zach Brown's—Joe uh, Walsh is on here. You'd never know that Joe Walsh is actually playing on the album when I when I hear Outside, uh, uh, Outsider, that song— there's a lot here that, um, I don't want to say it's going through the motions, but uh, but heck, there's a lot of going through the motions here on Sonic Highways that I, I don't take a lot from.
1: A couple years before this, they actually released an album that was just a bunch of B-sides cover versions of like, random songs, like you know, I Feel Free by Cream and mm-hmm. Baker Street by Jerry Rafferty, uh, and uh, Never Talking to You Again, or Band on the Run by Wings. That's a much better album than this album. That should have been their their proper follow-up if they could have done that. An <laughs> album of cover versions of the quality of uh, Medium Rare, which is, I think, the name of it, uh, is, a, is a much, much better document than this one, which is, uh, again probably the first time in their entire career where it feels a little generic even on um, you know the uh, the awful in your honor you know acoustic thing uh, that we all made fun of those songs are bad but they're not generic this stuff I'm just surprised at how faceless it is and so I completely agree with your critique now Jay if you want to speak up for it please be our be our guest
2: well here's the thing this, on its own as an album it's one of their it's probably not their strongest effort but really this and it's hard to say that because you know it's like they did release it as an album but this is something that you really have to listen to as you watch the hbo series that they did with this i don't know if you guys have seen that and that kind of goes through the process of how they put these songs together and and the people that they talk to and and Probably because why it's, I think some of it is a, little, is a little weak is Dave did something that was pretty inventive. The lyrics for the songs right. came out of the interviews that he did with the people in those particular cities. Mm-hmm. So if you listen to, you know, if you, if you hear something from nothing, there's a couple of lines where he says, you know, a button on a string and he says, looking for a dime and found a quarter. And that those are actual words that Buddy Guy had spoken during the time when he was interviewing Buddy Guy. And so he weaved those into the song. outside, you know, you probably wouldn't know it was Joe Walsh, but if you watch the episode, they have a, you know, there's a there's a whole section in there where they bring Walsh in and they're actually, and he's playing and of course Taylor Hawkins is like geeking out because he's got (laughs) a guy from the Eagles who's going to play on our record Um, but yeah, you know, it's at first, when when it first came out and because I saw the HBO series, I thought a lot higher of it but when I went back and listened to it again, I was like, this really isn't very good, especially like the the final song which was was about New York which is uh I am a river and you know he and it's one of those things where it's like he repeats the chorus over and over again more than you hear from like somebody from like the police when they do that (laughs) um you know it's just you know it's like there wasn't much that he could it it didn't seem like from the interviews that he could write much they said we'll just repeat the chorus about 400 times and then kind of end on this whole big thing the other thing like you said is like they bring in people that were that they had in these cities but you don't really know. you know, rick nielsen was brought in to play this one big power chord uh you know but that was really about it you know you don't really know too much i mean you can hear zach brown a little bit when he's singing but not the way you could hear bob mold you know on, on wasting light so it you know and and he's playing on that record but you don't really know it and then when they did the new orleans episode they had that band that was playing you could barely hear them i think there was a lot of that and i think one of the mistakes that Dave made on this was not allowing the areas where they were playing to influence the music they were doing. Yes. You know, I, I think, and they're in Nashville. Why not give the song a little, you know, he was like, Oh God, you know, and there were the episode I walked in, they got cowboy hats on and everything. And I'm like, we can't get away from the way we sound like, why not? Why don't you go there, do something, try, you know, step outside of that comfort zone and do something that's different. And don't be afraid of it. And, and I think that kind of took away from it is that they they didn't really try to do that. Same thing when they were in, you know, when they were in Austin or when they were in New Orleans, you know, it's the songs sound like Foo Fighter songs. Yeah. yeah I, you know, it, you, you hear them and you don't I don't ugh, wouldn't know if you filmed it, if they recorded this in Nashville, If they recorded it in Kansas City. Right. So, it, it it doesn't. It isn't. It's
1: not like you're you're hearing like oh well there's the country fried sounds of you know the pedal steel guitar Sneaky Pete Kleinow. No,
3: it's,
1: <laughs> it still sounds like the foos no matter where it
2: is. And that's I mean, but it, it, just so you know. Like I said, I I encourage everybody to watch the HBO series. It's really good. Like Zach Brown bought the studio where they were recording this, and this was like when they bought the studio. I can't remember the name of the studio, but like everything was like still in there. So like when whoever they had bought it from left everything there so they still have like the log books from like when johnny cash was coming in to record nice. when elvis or somebody was coming to record you know <laughs> they had their names down in these books it's like this history there so it's it's really a great series i think you'll appreciate the music a little bit more if you watch the hbo series but the album on its own yeah overall it's kind of like a weak effort now it's
1: a bit of a rubber banding effect here too because I know that Scott said there were two albums left. Well that, that is true but it also misses one thing because there was actually an EP that they released uh next uh, uh I think it was uh after the Big horrible Paris attacks at Le, the Bataclan, uh, where, where so many people were killed, and those terrorist attacks at the concert venue. It was the Eagles of Death Metal uh, were playing a show, and, and the you know ISIS terrorists ended up killing hundreds of people. Um, and the Foo Fighters released uh, an EP as kind of, kind of they cut their tour short. I believe that they were uh, also playing Paris or about to head there at the same time. They had to cut it off. They released uh, the Saint Cecilia EP. As sort of for free, they put it up online. They said like we were gonna we were gonna sell this, but we're just gonna give it to you now. Um, It's actually pretty good, and I wanted to single it out not only because it's underrated. Um, and because it kind of falls between the cracks, but because the title track I think is one of their better songs, Saint Cecilia I think is a fantastic song. It's uh, also the song that uh, Jay and I used to be on a podcast together. And uh, when we wrapped up our final show, uh, this is the song that he played at the end as sort of a tribute to what we've done on Splintered Caucus, uh, R.I.P. But I really like that song, and I know Jay does too. So I wanted to make sure that we gave it some time.
3: we See-
2: That, that that is that is a great song, and I I know all the lyrics didn't apply to the end of the, the Splinter Caucus podcast, but some of it did, and so you know it was more about you know just kind of like we're 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 moving on to new things. Um, there's a couple of good songs on that EP, and 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 you know it, the the Foo Fighters now are at a point where it's like you know where they say we're taking some time off, and everybody's like oh my god the band is breaking up, you know, and it's like <laughs> no, I mean I'm guessing you know these guys have families, they're not. 25 anymore and when you record an album and then you tour for a year and you do all this kind of stuff you know you want to just go and like kind of like relax a little bit and I guess if they're you know they're, where they're at now they can afford to do that Yeah, but they don't need to pump out an album once every year they can they can wait they can afford to wait a year before they do something new um, so yeah I, I, you know it was great to hear that it was nice to have something that kind of filled in that gap between you know Sonic Highways and and, and the new one and so speaking of which, the most
1: recent Foos album came out just a couple months ago. Uh, Concrete and Gold was released uh, last September. And uh, boy, you know, I heard them describing it. Well, this is this is us doing prog rock. I sure don't hear it. Um, <laughs> but I am interested in what your thoughts on the album are before we go go do the round robin on this.
0: Uh, you know, it's been out for six months or so, so it's hard to kind of place it. In uh, in historical Foo Fighters discography context, one thing I'll say is I, I, I don't like the single "Run," and that's like the, that's about the first time I would say that about a Foo Fighters single from an album, I mean, especially a lead single. They I they like do it a,
1: for the first thirty seconds, yeah, and they, then I don't like
0: it. They do a tremendous job of picking out the song that's going to resonate with the public and, and and you know sound good with the top down. And I don't think "Run" is it. Um, and I actually you know I I was going through to okay if it's not "Run," what song should it be? And there aren't a ton of of hooky, uh, really sing along type songs on Concrete and Gold. Maybe Make It Right, which um, has this kind of almost Southern boogie rock, uh, some tightly wound riffs. I I do like Make It Right. Maybe that would have been a a better single choice. I'm not sure. As a Neighborhood is, is, um, is not bad. But uh, this is not an immediately memorable album in my uh, uh, opinion. So I'm interested to see how it kind of ages. ages. I mean, we're only six months past its release. Uh, Sunday Rain I like quite a bit. Paul, McCart- Paul McCartney plays drums on Sunday Rain. And what I like about it is unlike uh, some Foo Fighters songs which seem a little cramped, there's space for that that song to breathe. Uh, and so I do like Sunday Rain, not, not as a single necessarily, but as a, as a song. Um, so, uh, again, I, uh, this did not strike me as being immediately memorable in terms of songs and craftsmanship. Again, the Foo Fighters never do anything truly awful. Uh, at, at, at their worst, they're you know, cranking out mediocre-type rock, and I don't know if that's going to be the way this is remembered, but that, that's almost how it strikes me immediately
1: i think that sunday rain is my favorite song on the album and you know of course i haven't had enough time to live with this you know it's one of these things where you'll go back like by the way you know when i first heard everlong i was like this is okay i don't think this is a really great song and then i went and i read up and people say oh that's the greatest food father song ever <laughs> so i was like oh oh crap what did i miss and i went back and i listened to it again and you know, I still don't think it's the greatest Foo Fighters song ever. I think it's very good, but it's never going to be my favorite. I have a lot more than I prefer to that. So, yeah, you know, you live with things over time and then you end up changing your opinion on them. And of course, with a band that I'm just recently familiar with, it's one of these things where I wonder if I'm going to look back on this podcast with intense regret uh, that I didn't single out, oh man, that track was really good. I really should have talked about Dirty Water more. But no, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to have to live with myself and just say that right now I, I've Find this to be unprepossessing. I like Sunday Rain. I like Arrows. I like the Happy Ever After song, it was a zero hour one. And uh, mm-hmm. beyond that, it, not a lot of it left out to me. But of course, you know, when you're when you're digesting a huge discography of music in a short amount of time, there's always inevitably things that are going to fall by the wayside. That that when you go back and you, you pick up the pieces later on, you you end up kicking yourself for having missed.
2: So. um this 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 record is is obviously uh different i think from them and, and and this is one where they were, you know uh greg kirsten is their producer so they decided you know to get away from butch vig not anything obviously bad but they wanted to try something different and kirsten is is a producer uh of like you know <clears throat> adele
3: mm-hmm.
2: artists like that um do you guys do you guys remember do you remember geggy ta yes yeah, that, yeah sadly. Yes. <laughs> that, that Volkswagen commercial, you know, that 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 song that they use, driving in my car. I was like, that <laughs> da, da. Yeah. And um, but so I know that they wanted to try something a little different, and and he's obviously got like a little bit more uh kind of like a synthesized sound. Uh one of the things that I like and that they did, and you hear it like in the skies and neighborhood and a couple other songs is that they decided hey, you know what we're actually gonna really try and branch out a little bit here vocally uh, especially with harmonies and things mm, like that chris mm-hmm. Shiplett does background vocals probably have more songs on this album than he's done previously all their other albums um and then of course you know you know for those who are listening sunday rain taylor hawkins actually is the lead singer in that song it's not dave grohl with 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 yeah like you said as you said mccartney playing drums um i actually like run i you know it's funny uh, you know somebody said and i i It's kind of agree. It's like, you know, run is almost kind of like a continuation of the song walk. Um, You know, so it, 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 they kind of go together. Um, Sky is a neighborhood is a pretty good song. It's another one of those. um, That's that video for that is just kind of weird. (laughs) Um, Dave Grohl's two daughters appear in the video. And one of them, of course, looks just like him. Um, But then they also get, you know, I have to get political, but they also get the like glowing eyes thing at some point. I'm thinking, Oh my God, I'm like getting like, you know, flashbacks to like alt right people on <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: <Okay>. <laughs> we,
2: we, we the Twitter with the <laughs> I
3: know exactly what
2: you're referring to. Too. Yeah. Oh no. So I don't know. But one of my favorite songs on the on the album though is "Make It Right," which which starts off you know with just with just uh, Taylor hitting the hi hat you know and you know it's got that crunchy guitar and you know it's kind of like one of these kind of in your face. Foo Fighters songs. Um, you know, I think like Happily Ever After is probably, you know, you, you listen to it. It's this light version. It's obviously to me a, a, um, a kind of homage to the Beatles and then Concrete and Gold at the end, kind of like this long plotting song, which they I think was more of a, a, a tribute to Pink Floyd in a sense. But they just couldn't. I don't think they could pull it off um, it it doesn't work for them. So you know, I give I think the album is a lot of people are saying that they really don't like it. I think it's better than some people are saying and I give them credit for kind of going out on a limb. This is one of those ones I think where the album as a whole works better than individual tracks simply because every song it, you know, it's it's like the song sounds so different, it, it you know, so you kind of have to listen to it all. It, it, that may sound weird since they all sound different. You have to listen to the whole thing to kind of appreciate it, but that's the way it is. It's there's nothing here that kind of goes together at the same time. There's most of the songs have that classic Foo Fighters sound. Mm-hmm. Um, But I think they, the, I, I give them, give them points for kind of stepping outside of their comfort zone for doing some things. Some of it they did really well. Some of it they didn't, you know, if you see, uh you know what's great about la di if you watch them do it live pat smear plays plays the solo you know it's like wow mr power chord is actually you know doing a solo which is pretty cool um and a couple of songs that i've seen them do live this seems to be an album where the songs probably seeing them perform it live in concert probably comes off better than listening to it on the on the record
0: and there we are, the Political Beats look at Foo Fighters, and we come to the portion of the show in which all three of us pick our two key albums and the five songs that you should hear from the Foo Fighters, you know, in case you're like Jeff and you're, you're just waking up and saying, hey, I want to get into the Foo Fighters. We'll tell a you where to start. from
1: your cave, rub the sleep <laughs> out of your eyes and come <laughs> into the light and discover what modern music has known about for the last decade and a half.
0: So we always allow our guests to go first. Jay Caruso, editorial writer, board member of the Dallas News, co-host fifth, The State Show podcast. Uh, the floor is yours for your choices. Are we doing albums first or songs? All at albums. once. Albums, then songs.
2: Albums. Okay, albums. I mean, Hearing us talk about this, this is not going to surprise anybody. The, the, the two, if you're only going to buy two Foo Fighters albums, you buy Wasting Light and you buy The Color and The Shape. Uh, together, those are just make up their two best albums pieces of work and it's interesting because they were released you know something like you know what 14 years apart Mm -hmm. so it just shows how good they were when they were young and in their 20s and how much they evolved as songwriters as musicians and everything else you know 14 years later down the road when they released wasting light which just you know that's the whole thing is those are the two records i think that they have where you can i can for me anyway i can put it on listen to the first track to the last track not want to skip anything and your songs and the songs okay so this is going to sound interesting because i actually have a song here from sonic highways which i said wasn't a very good out <laughs> but i think something from nothing uh <clears throat> scott i'm going to differ from you i th- I think something from nothing is is a is a fantastic song i love yeah. that rami jaffe gets to do like this thing with the keyboards it has this kind of weird funky kind of 70s sound kind of rolled into it um you know the, the you know when they bring Rick Nielsen in to do those big power chords it is it's huge it's like you know it's one of these songs that starts off it's kind of like that typical Foo Fighters progression it starts off kind of easy and it builds and builds and builds and when it when it finally explodes it's really big out of all the songs on that album that one is 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 without doubt the best um everlong of course i know, i know jeff saying he doesn't doesn't like it as much as everybody else but i think it's still it was one of those songs that kind of knocked my socks off when I first heard it and I still can listen to it whenever it comes on. I've never heard that song say eh, I don't want to feel like listening to this. If it's on, I'm going to listen to it. Uh from the from the first album, This Is a Call is such a great great song. Um if you're going to listen to something that's really early outside of Everlong, then start with that one. Uh and then Dear Rosemary which mm-hmm. I, I have so much of an appreciation for. And we talked about it before, but it's one of those songs where, where, you know, they, the music is great. The lyrics are great. The production is great. And with Bob mold on there, it just, he, Dave Grohl gives him the room to go ahead and do what he does best. And so molds vocals on that song just complement Dave so well that it, from beginning to end, it's just like a perfect song, perfect rock song. And it's so great. And, and, it's it was different because that was the first time that they had somebody perform with them where you could actually hear that other person mm-hmm. you know it was it was different from everything else um and on that same record rope which when i you know i i loved you know the first track that i heard off of the, the album was white limo which was just you know was fun but when i heard rope <clears throat> everything about that song is great it's just you know from that opening riff uh, to the way they go into it uh, and then from the little you know solo that taylor gets to play in the middle which again if you see them play it live it's even it's even better um that song it 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 kind of it it just gives you you have bridges bridge burning but then you have rope and that just kind of gives you an idea of how great the rest of it's going to be <clears throat> excuse me and you know, it's just, it, again, I, and I'm picking songs here too. You have to understand as well that since I play the drums, there's some of these, these that, that just kind of speak to me as from a drumming standpoint. That's the reason why Something from Nothing stands out because of the way Taylor plays on that song. And Rope is another one of those because it gives, you know, it shows what a great drummer Taylor is because he gets to uh, distinguish himself by playing that little solo, but then just kind of shows how tightly he keeps that band, you know, in the pocket all the time. You know that's one of the great aspects of them as a rock band is is taylor's drumming always they always have a nice tight sound and it's just gotten better if you listen to, if you see them live in the late 90s as compared to now they're just they're just it's miles apart on how well they play a, at a live show so rope is one of those songs that just kind of like ties everything together
1: Scott, you're
0: on the clock. So, albums-wise, I don't know what to tell you, except it, 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 it's going to be the first two, um, which doesn't perhaps give enough credit to the back half of the career, but again, I, I think it's just two. That f- first Foo Fighters album, the debut where Dave Grohl's playing everything, is one that you should have, and I think the color and the shape is their best, so that's what it's got to be, Foo Fighters and uh, and the color and the shape. In terms of songs... Um, something I think I've mentioned on the podcast about The Foo Fighters. Look, the singles are singles for uh, a good reason. They're really great songs. We've picked through some of the album tracks uh as well, but, but I mean the singles are great to that end. Look, Monkey Wrench from the Color and the Shape is a really great song and one you should hear to appreciate and understand uh what The Foo Fighters do. Everlong also from Color and the Shape as 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 Jay said it's probably my favorite uh Foo Fighters song even if it's not Jeffs um I think uh, the Pretender which as I mentioned is probably my favorite later day Foo Fighters single and um go with No Way Out from In Your Honor or No Way Back I'm sorry from from uh In Your Honor which uh is is uh, just a fast <laughs> melodic song and I love the way it kind of kicks off that 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 uh, series of songs at the front end of the the first disc of In Your Honor and uh, Wasting Light has to be represented here because it is such a late career uh, tour de force. Dear Rosemary is a great track. I will go with Arlandria, though. Uh, I-, I just think it, like, the chorus is great. The way the three guitars play with each other on that track is fantastic. It's Pat Smears. You know, he's back full time for, for Wasting Light, which I think is one of the <laughs> reasons it does turn out so well. So um, Arlandria would be uh, my fifth track. Jeff, to you.
1: All right. Well, I'm going to have to agree with you, uh, Scott. And it wasn't easy, actually. Uh, I was, you know, again, going through these things chronologically, I was very prepared to say, well, clearly it's, you know, the Foo Fighters debut album and it's the color and the shape. And then all of a sudden Wasting Light happened. And I was like, well, okay. So it actually became a pretty stiff competition. But As much as I love Wasting Light, and by the way, folks, I just can't agree more with with both Scott and Jay about recommending it. It's a great record. I'm going to say that it's the first two as well. I'm going to say it's Foo Fighters, and it's the color and the shape. And they're very different albums, which is another fun thing about them. Foo Fighters is – you know, it can't be emphasized enough. That's the sound of a man in the studio recording everything himself, and it gives it a unique sound within not only the Foo Fighters discography, but also there is a whole subgenre. Of albums that are recorded by guys alone in a room or in a studio, just spending their time working out ideas that they'd had brewing around in their heads for years and getting it all onto tape. And it ends up, you know, creating some really rewarding music, sometimes very weird, sometimes very spontaneous, sometimes very controlled and robotic. You get a whole wonderful subgenre of albums that range from everything like McCartney 2 to songs in the key of life by Stevie Wonder to uh, Foo Fighters and and it's just it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a concept that fascinates me and it always has the color and the shape I don't need to sell that to you it's like you know it's like trying to sell you ice cream i think you're going to buy it on your own because you know how good it is my songs i will say first is this is a call um, uh, I think it's first song off the Foo Fighters album it's one of the very few songs in the entire discography of the band that I think is explicitly backwards looking it actually reminds me of a Nirvana song which I think is is interesting as I said at the beginning of the show that's you know that's the clearest tribute to uh Kurt Cobain that uh Dave Grohl ever wrote uh because he wrote it in the style of the band that he was of course an integral part of uh the second song I would choose is one I'm I guess I'm not surprised that people haven't mentioned because they have so many big hit singles, but um, I wanted to make sure that we didn't leave without mentioning it again. It's My Hero. (laughs) Sure, big, big radio stomping arena rock friendly hit single, but a great song and a great conceit and just absolutely fantastic guitar work throughout those choruses. Uh, and I, again, I just I salute the idea of writing a song about you know people who are just everyday people uh, and and are the real heroes because they aren't out there you know being uh, you know movie stars and, and and you know bathing in the glamour of the public appeal just they're doing their thing every day. Uh, my. Third and fourth songs both come from an album that I still think is pretty underrated, which is There's Nothing Left to Lose, and that's Generator and Aurora. And I think maybe you could say that the entire spine of the Foo Fighters discography runs through these two songs, not just that album, but their entire ethos, if they can be said to have like an overarching aesthetic or an ethos, can be found summed up in those two songs, which run back-to-back on the album I love both of them. They are very catchy, very interesting, hook-laden, but very quirky art rock that has been turned, uh, you know, through you know proper arrangement and you know the right sonics into something that can be played on the radio and be catchy as well. Uh, really rewarding and really fascinating. And it was so hard for me to find a, the last song to pick, but I'm going to go with Dear Rosemary, which I know Jay also cited as well here, and I'll say that this is what musical collaborations are supposed to sound like. So if you actual, like, you know, two great artists get together, uh, sound like they're actual equal collaborations, you know, uh, another one that comes to mind, this is going to a completely different sounding song, but it would be like Queen and David Bowie getting together for Under Pressure which sounds like well that's Queen and uh, that's certainly David Bowie (laughs) it sounds like it's equally both of them contributing on Dear Rosemary and that's a Foo Fighters song but Bob Mould brings so much to it not only with his guitar but with his singing that it sounds like an equal collaboration and it's what those things should be and it's actually really what Sonic Highway has failed to be uh, which is one of the reasons I find it to be such a disappointing record Uh, but man Dear Rosemary is a great song off of a really great album
0: and there we are The Political Beats look at the Foo Fighters. We thank our guest this week. He's Jay Caruso. Follow him on Twitter, at Jay Caruso. Editorial writer, board member at the Dallas News, co-host, Fifth Estate Show podcast. That's at Fifth Estate Show. Jay, thanks for joining us on Political Beats and sharing your love of the Foo Fighters. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Had fun. Uh, Thanks. Jeff, do it again next week. As always, my friend. That's the plan. You can follow uh, follow Jeff at Esoteric CD on Twitter. My name is Scott Bertram. I'm at Scott Bertram. You of course can follow the show at political underscore beats. Subscribe, please. For new episodes on most Mondays, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Tune In, or right there, nationalreview.com. Click on podcasts, listen, share, enjoy, leave reviews. This has been a presentation of National Review. This has been Political Beats.